Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Listening to Jim Paris Live, your source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our second segment uh, with our special guest tonight, Sean Levy. Tell you a little bit about him. Uh, go to Amazon. You've got to check out his Amazon page. There are several books he's written. If you're somebody that's interested in entertainment, you're going to love his list of books. He was the writer, I did not realize this, of Rat Pack Confidential, which was that that huge best-selling book about the Rat Pack, which I, I've got to get that book because I'm super fascinated with that whole era. He has a book out about Paul Newman, uh, Robert De Niro, and others. He's a former movie reviewer, and his latest book is The Castle on Sunset, which is all about the Chateau Marmont, the hotel where Hollywood's biggest names have stayed for over 90 years. And Sean Levy, welcome to Jim Paris Live for the first time, sir. Thanks so much for having me. I wanted to ask you, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? You are. Okay, very good. Because I know I could have gone uh, a couple of different ways with that, and I, I thought I had it right. I listened to a couple of other interviews that you had done. The Chateau Marmont, um, I'm so interested in this. I guess we start by, tell us when this was built and uh, how it became a, a place for the celebrities to go to. Like, Take us way back to the very beginning to start with. It opened in 1929 as a 43-unit apartment building in the um, unpaved stretch of Sunset Boulevard that connected Beverly Hills to the city of Los Angeles. Um, it was built by a lawyer who'd never uh, been a hotelier or an apartment owner for that matter. It was uh, designed by his brother-in-law in imitation of a chateau in the Loire Valley of France. Um, and they opened it six months before the stock market crashed. So after a couple of years of failing to lease it out, they sold it to a man who turned it into a hotel. He happened to be uh, someone who had helped found the movie business in Hollywood, and he had a lot of film connections. So people immediately started showing up at his hotel from the world of film. So since about 1932, it's been a showbiz hotel. And, and in the beginning, you're saying it was on a dirt road, and it yeah. had sort of a rustic vibe to it. It, it. it still had that rustic vibe for many years following that. Isn't that right? Yes, yeah, Sunset Boulevard was part of L.A. County, but it wasn't incorporated in, in either Beverly Hills or Los Angeles. West Hollywood didn't exist as a city. So it was a little bit of an outlaw community. There were speakeasies during um, Prohibition. There were casinos and brothels and uh, clubs where gay men and women met. Um, it, was, it, was a, uh, it was kind of a red light district, and, and the Chateau Marmont stood at the eastern edge. So on the one hand, I'm sorry, on the one hand, it was looking toward 
the city of Los Angeles, it was a promontory. It was an eight-story building built on a hill with nothing around it. Um, you could see everywhere. On the other hand, you were kind of nowhere, which meant that you didn't have to deal with city cops, city inspectors. Um, it, it was in a unique place until it got swallowed up by the whole city. Yeah, and, and so even though the city began to form all around it and it was no longer a rural getaway, so to speak, it still sort of kept that vibe. And, and it's interesting in the book, you describe it as not that luxurious of a place historically. Like it would not be like staying at the Ritz. The Ritz, this is not the Ritz. This is yeah. sort of a, a rustic, bohemian type of a vibe to it. And that was part of the charm of it. People didn't expect it to be the Ritz. Correct. It, you know, it wasn't even the Beverly Hills Hotel or the Beverly Wilshire or the Ambassador, which were the great showbiz hotels of the time. It was built really beautifully, but they ran out of money on furnishings. So they were hoping to uh, rent out as apartments these units and people would bring their own furniture. But that wasn't what happened. So it was furnished very cheaply. And then sort of bric-a-brac, as the Depression sunk in, you could get estate sales from people who had lost their fortunes in Beverly Hills. So there, you know, it, it always had this funky decor. Depending on which room you went in, you didn't know what furniture would be there, whereas most hotels, there's a uniformity to the design. And that appealed to a lot of people. It made them think they were staying in an apartment and not in a hotel. It made them feel like they were in Europe, not in Los Angeles. It, it, it had some real allure for people who had to work in Southern California, usually in the movie business, but they didn't want to, quote, unquote, go Hollywood. They could pretend to be somewhere else when they were inside their unit at the Chateau. And they could stay there. It was like a, a, like an apartment without a lease because each unit was designed as an apartment, as your book points out, and it had a kitchen in it and everything. So you could stay there long term. And many of the stories in your book are about people that did just that. This was not a, a two or three night stay. Some of these people stayed for many months. Isn't that right? Some stayed for years. Nicholas Ray, the director of Rebel Without a Cause, rented a bungalow. Um, after, after the first owner sold it, various owners added some outbuildings. So there are about 20 bungalows on the property that are individual units. They're connected like townhomes, but they're, they're, you know, they don't connect in, inside. And uh, the people who rented those could, could enter and leave the place without even entering the large hotel. Nicholas Ray, the great director, lived in one of those for six years. Today, wow. those units for about five grand a night. So uh, no, no one is living in, like that anymore. But um, no, that was I, went on, I went online. I went online, Sean, to uh, one of those apps where you can kind of find deals. And I found like where you could stay there for 600 bucks or 700 bucks, like present day. It, would that be like probably the least expensive room you could find there even today? Pretty much. Pretty much. That's that's going to be a room where the bed takes up about ninety percent of the space. And if somebody stays there, little, go ahead. No, it'll have a little kitchenette and its own bath, of course, but it's going to be like a Manhattan studio. Now, if somebody stayed there today, like let's say I I, I fly out to L.A. in a week and I decide to stay there for a few days. Am I likely to run into uh, some famous celebrities even in today's world? Like, is this a 
place from the past where the big names stayed, or are they still staying there today? They're still staying there today. In fact, today it's more luxurious, more famous, more expensive, more elite than it has ever been. Um, The current owners have done a brilliant job of giving you the illusion that you're in a luxury hotel from the 40s, 50s, whereas in those days it was sort of more a a working hotel. Um, So you're in it and everything feels old and luxurious and deluxe, but it's calling back to a golden age that didn't quite take place at that time. Um, And, you know, if you just sit in the lobby and read a magazine, you will see celebrities arriving to be interviewed or to check into their rooms or use the restaurant. It's a tiny hotel. And because it wasn't built as a hotel, the public spaces like the restaurant, the bar, and the lobby have been squeezed in to, to what would have been just normally like the foyer of an apartment building in its time. Very so interesting. Right there in your face, yeah. Now, now my, and this might give you a little bit of insight that I'm not like a huge follower of entertainment news, but I follow news as much as anybody else. And my first real memory of the Chateau Marmot was to hear the story of the death of John Belushi. And is, is that what put the Chateau Marmont on the map as far as just the general public's awareness of it? Yes, absolutely. 1982. For that matter, people in Los Angeles really didn't know the place intimately well. It's a landmark and it's visible, but it's not clearly identified by signage. And it wasn't really famous. Even in like 1960, when the hotel was some 30 years old, the Los Angeles Times was identifying it to its readers as a hotel on the Sunset Strip that caters to show business people. It wasn't famous. Belushi's death at a time when the hotel was sort of bohemian and obscure really put it on the map. Um, People started requesting Belushi's bungalow to stay in, uh, even though management had taken great pains to, you know, redecorate it and not make it a tomb or a a shrine. Um, and, And ghoul tours stopped by, you know, the sort of things that take you to true crime scenes. Um, and it just became something that everyone knew about the place. Suddenly, this this kind of obscure, open secret became very well known. Now, yeah, it kind of brings back the memory of the O.J. Simpson house, which got so much traffic, even after he left the house, they had to tear the house down and actually yeah, yeah, exactly. re- put a new house in place. Now, it's interesting because I was reading a little bit about just kind of refresh my memory about the John Belushi death um, that that same day, if, if I'm getting the story right, Robin Williams and Robert De Niro were visitors to his hotel suite there. Yeah, that's right. Um, they, they both testified to the grand jury that looked into that eventually uh, led to the conviction of the woman who gave Belushi the fatal uh an uh, uh, injection of heroin and cocaine. Um, they they both were partying with him. Um, lots of people were. You know, it was kind of an open secret that Belushi was was using drugs and kind of out of control. But he was a 33 year old man, and people couldn't really tell him what to do. And the people who were likeliest to tell him what to do were back east in New York. His wife, his partner Dan Aykroyd, his former boss Lord Michaels. They were the people who had real influence over him, and they were trying to get him back 
to New York at the time that he died. Yeah, and just just so many stories uh, in this book, both present day and going back historically, and I want to get into a few different stories. Uh, Tell us about Natalie Wood and James Dean uh, being there for the extended stay uh, with their movie production. I mean, some of these names are just legends, and just to think that you could see them all sitting around the pool working on a script together, I, I just can't even imagine it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nicholas Ray, the director of and, and creator of Rebel Without a Cause, um, was living at the hotel for six years at the time he made that film, and he used to throw a Sunday afternoon kind of soiree. His bungalow was right by the pool. People would come over, they'd swim, they'd make meals, they'd you know get out the bongos and the reefer because it was the 50s. And they were just these long kind of cool parties, bohemian parties in Hollywood. And during the years that he was developing Rebel Without a Cause, Ray started inviting a lot of teenagers, including kids from Hollywood High, just down Sunset Boulevard, who were looking to be involved in the movie business and in this film in particular. At the same time, he was rehearsing his cast along you know, with these people. So you had James Dean, Jim Backus, Natalie Wood, Sal Mineo, and Ray was sexually involved with Mineo and Natalie Wood, Sal Mineo and Natalie Wood. At the same time, they were both teenagers. He was a 40-odd-year-old man. It was a crazy scene wound up producing, you know, probably the greatest work of art that's associated with Chateau Marmont completely, Rebel Without a Cause. But it's really hard to believe that this was going on in the public places of a of, of a hotel. And yeah, especially, uh, especially in the 50s, which, um, not that I would endorse any of that stuff, but like the 60s right. might have been more appropriately uh, to see that kind of behavior. But the 50s, they were definitely, you know, before their time uh, being that uh, that liberal uh, progressively, because that was not even too far from the era where, uh, like, if a celebrity got divorced, they could lose their, their position with a studio. And that sort of those moral turpitude uh, expectations were still hanging around in the 50s. And yet this was all going on somehow quietly just on the outskirts of Hollywood. Yeah, I don't even know how quietly it was. I mean, it just wasn't a thing that the people, um, you know, in the media reported that people would report to the media. Um, there was there was a code of sort of like boys will be boys and Hollywood people will be Hollywood people. And it wasn't so much like uh, like a conspiracy of silence. It was like just an unspoken thing that no one would talk about this. Yeah. Very interesting. And, and uh, some of the, um, I want to touch on a couple of the more recent stories of being a financial guy myself. I was fascinated by the story about Lindsay Lohan, who of course we all know, uh, you know, beautiful young lady, talented, but she's had her ups and downs, uh, tragic ups and downs and had a lot of financial problems and you point out in the book that she stayed there for an extended period of time, ran up an enormous bill, like, what was it, $50,000 or something like this, and just didn't know uh, who was going to pay it, like somebody else was going to pay it, but she didn't have the money, and they ended up uh, booting her out because she ran up that big bill. Absolutely true. Every, everything you just said. Nin- uh, 2012, she was there for about two months, ran up a tab of 46000 plus. Um they sent her an itemized bill. They sent her a letter asking her to leave the premises. Somebody from her 
entourage or camp or office leaked that document to the press back then. And it's just a portrait of someone, someone not paying attention, someone who you know, has, has the uh, privilege of feeling if I fall backwards, someone will catch me. It's, it's still kind of shocking to read it all, you know, uh, six iPhone chargers in eight weeks, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's... $3,000 at the minibar. <laughs> How much at the minibar? In, in a day. Three grand at the minibar in one day. In she one day. Wow, a what, party. what a minibar. They must have uh, gold bars in there. Um, you know, oh, it yeah. is interesting, though, you, you talk about like how the rest of us live and the celebrities and just the idea that somebody would run up a $46,000 bill and kind of have the thought like someone else is going to come in and take care of this, like my studio or somebody's going to come in and, and pay this bill. I'm not going to have to be worried about this. I'm the kind of guy where I'm on a cruise ship or in a hotel room. I'm checking my total bill every day because I know at the end of the trip, I'm going to have to uh, settle up and you never know, you know, how much you're spending until you kind of look at the, you know, the bottom line. And then another bizarre story was Britney Spears. Again, another beautiful, young, super talented lady that's had problems. Uh, She was eating in the restaurant, if I understand it. And maybe was having some kind of a personal emotional crisis or something and began smearing food all over her face. Is that right? That's, that's the story. Yes. She was asked to leave the restaurant in 2007, I believe. Um, And, you know, other diners, it's a very tiny place, you know, 63 rooms in the whole hotel. The restaurant itself is not much bigger than any restaurant might be in your community. You know, it's it's not some you know gigantic resort, um, and it's intimate. And if you're sitting there at the table next to somebody who's behaving in a way that, if you were in a Waffle House or a Burger King, they would ask you to leave. You know, um, the the poor young woman was was suffering some sort of mental crisis, um, and it was unfortunately in this public place. But that that tells you that there are limits. It's not like a, a, a free-for-all there. You have to pay your bill, and you have to behave in a way that's discreet to yourself. You're consenting. You're adult. You go in your room. You do what you want. You pay your bill. Nobody at this hotel, or for that matter, most luxury hotels, is going to interfere with that. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it still is a hotel, and it still is a business. Nonetheless, um, one of our listeners is emailing asking, what is the security like there? I don't want to give away anything like, you know, to endanger anybody. So let's not do that. But like, is it really strict security? If you were like in there and let's say George Clooney walks in and you say, hello, Mr. Clooney, can I have your autograph? Would you be thrown out on the curb for approaching somebody like that? No, I mean, you may be made to feel uncomfortable, which I think is probably a little bit appropriate. It's, it's, as I say, it's a tiny, intimate place. But I think if, you, if, if, you're, if you're decorous, if you're polite, um, you may be told, no, I'm sorry, and then you need to accept that. But there are limits about, say, live, you know, sharing on Facebook live if George Clooney was eating with his wife. I'm certain okay. that some from the staff would come over and ask you to stop and or leave. Um, right. Because as much money as these paparazzis get paid for these pictures, they get, you think they'd all be renting rooms there, <laughs> have their lenses pointed out the door down the yeah, hallway. Not as 600 bucks a night. You know, that's a gamble. It is. <laughs> it may not I, be I a $600 story. <laughs> now, now tell me uh, in terms of, 
of any other sort of dark things that have happened there. Of course, we, we just talked about John Belushi. Is, were there any other famous crimes, deaths, or anything sort of dark like that that happened that maybe would be less known by the public than the Belushi story? Um, you know, surprisingly few. Uh, there, for sure, there was one other suicide. There was a suicide, uh, a fellow who was a songwriter and screenwriter who'd kind of come to the end of his, his rope in the 1950s. And I'm not going to be able to pull his name off the top of my head, unfortunately. What was interesting to me was that at the time, it was the, the, the newspaper reports, which were pretty small, just, just gave the address of the hotel. He was staying at the hotel, but the hotel was so unknown in the 50s that saying Chateau Marmont and then giving the address would have been pointless. People didn't know what Chateau Marmont was, so they just gave an address on Sunset Boulevard in the Los Angeles Times. Um, it, was, it was an obscure place, and that's where this fellow went to uh, put an end to his, his suffering. Other big names, Marilyn Monroe is mentioned in your book. Talk about Marilyn. She was there on and off, you know, a couple of times. Nothing, nothing super sensational. There's a funny, funny yarn about a Time magazine reporter talking to her in the sitting room of her suite, and she says sort of absently, can we continue this conversation in the bedroom? And, you know, <laughs> his heart goes into his throat, and he follows her in there, and she lays at the bed, on the bed and points to a chair and, she just wants to lay down. She's feeling tired. She'll right. She wasn't interview. propositioning him. <laughs> no. That's but, classic. You know, it was, that, that was the thing about the place. It made people feel like they were at home. You know, it, many journalists have gone to hotel rooms to interview celebrities, but they're very starchy environments usually. Chateau Marmont was a place where people made their own scrambled eggs in the morning and their own coffee. It, it, it felt homey to people. It's why they kept coming back. One of our listeners wants to know, did the hotel cooperate with you on this book? Is it sort of their plan now to kind of have a lower profile because they had a lower profile, but not so much anymore. And maybe this book will make it an even higher profile. Does, does the hotel mind all these stories being compiled and going out there? It seems like this might be the first major book about the hotel. There, there was a book written in the 80s by the then owner of the hotel, and it was, um, it was a good thing for me to use as research because back then, the, obviously owning the hotel, he had access to everyone and everything, including many people who were familiar with it from 30 and 40 years earlier. Um, the current ownership are much more brand-oriented and image-oriented, and I don't think they appreciate not being able to control their story, but it's, this is an affectionate portrait of their hotel, and um, there are very few things in it that, that could be construed as invasion of privacy uh, about anyone who works there today, anyone who's staying there. It's, it's, it's a serious work of journalism and history that happens to be filled with dishy stories, but these are things that happened. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, I, I think they'd rather that their their name and their brand and their image be 100% under their control, but they're only owning a legacy for a little while. There are generations before them who've owned and 
you know, altered the place significantly. There are generations to come. And this, this story is just capturing a bunch of Hollywood history and a bunch of Los Angeles history in one place. It's not really an expose. So many big names in here, Groucho Marx, Dean Martin, Paul Newman. Um, if, if somebody read this book, uh, other than the names we've already mentioned tonight, who would, who would have some of the larger stories uh, in the book that had a bigger footprint in your book? What are some of the names that uh, maybe share with us a couple more anecdotes uh, of a couple of the folks that uh, might have had you know, bigger roles in your book in terms of, of the information you were able to get about them? Sure. Um, Roman Polanski stayed there twice at very um, different, different parts of his life. He was first there in the 1960s with his wife, Sharon Tate. And they wow. were kind of a beautiful couple of the time. Yeah. They used to throw a Sunday afternoon brunch that a lot of their friends who were staying in the hotel or from around the, the movie business would, would attend. And um, when she got pregnant she told him that she did not want to bring a baby home to a hotel and thus they rented the house where they were she was murdered by Charles Manson's followers wow. who were looking for someone else entirely she just happened to be renting the house uh they were looking for the previous tenant um so ironically you know Chateau Marmont was part of the tragedy in Polanski's life um 8 years later when he had pled guilty to sexual assault on a minor girl, he was uh, staying at Chateau Marmont as his final residence in the United States when he learned that um, the judge had, who had agreed to a plea bargain was going to void the agreement and sentence him you know, uh, differently than they had agreed to. Um, and that's the place from which he fled the United States, um, which is now, what, 40 years ago. So... You know, there's somebody who so much history the there. Story. Yeah, Literally, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, I, it's like any any one of these stories, any one of these stories, you just can launch into. I mean, so much incredible history. Uh, how about one more? G give us one more before we run out of time. Uh, Natalie okay, Wood sure. was was she was she there only as a result of uh, uh, James Dean, Rebel Without a Cause, or was she there with Robert Wagner in in that stage of her life as well? No, no, I don't believe so. Um, so you know, just the early days. Yes. Yeah, once you're a resident of Los Angeles, unless you're living there, you don't visit, you know, you don't stay there. Um, Jim Morrison of The Doors, the rock and roll era, had sort oh, of yeah. worn out his welcome at all the hotels on Sunset Boulevard, and he arrived at Chateau Marmont, and uh, he had this very druggy bohemian scene going on in his bungalow, and he nearly killed himself doing a stunt um, he liked to, to do what he called his Tarzan bit, and he would be in one upstairs window and grab a drain pipe or a lamp and go swing into another upstairs window. <laughs> and, uh, he was on a second story of his bungalow at Chateau Marmont, and he pulled off this stunt, and he um, slipped. And he banged off the first floor roof, like the roof over the doorway, and then he hit the ground. So he was lucky. He, he, you know, the, the first roof broke his fall, and he was limping around a bit after that, and it was soon before he moved to France and, and died. And he was, uh, was that his last night there? <laughs> no, you know, I mean, he it, it didn't, it didn't muss and fuss. He just went inside, there was, you know. 
Yeah, was just part of the something. part of the scene. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. So if you're a if you're a student of history, if you're fascinated with history, folks, or entertainment, or both, it's a beautiful book. It's a hardcover book, and uh, it is very lengthy, very well footnoted, nearly 400 pages, including a nice section in the center with some beautiful pictures and uh, very, very well done. I, I'll tell you, in reading segments of the book, I almost feel transported to the moment, which is what I always tell writers. I'm a writer. If you can take me to that place, if you can take me to that time, you did it. And you really did a great job on this. Uh, the book is Castle on Sunset. It is available on Amazon.com. And Sean Levy, do you have a website or anything else you'd like to uh, leave with our listeners tonight? Uh, SeanLevy.com, there's information about my other books and some writing and photos um, and about some of my other writing and projects. So, sure, SeanLevy.com. Very good. So it's it, it's Sean, S-H-A-W-N, last name Levy, L-E-V-Y. So would that be SeanLevy.com? Correct. SeanLevy.com. And, of course, there's a big Amazon page about him if you go there, and you can just Google Castle on Sunset. You'll find it available everywhere. Sean Levy, thank you so much. Fascinating interview, and we wish you the best with the book, and we hope you'll come back again. Oh, happily. Thanks so much for your time and interest. Thank you very much. Wow, what a great book. And I, I loved the, uh, the story about Jim Belushi just gives me chills and uh the pictures in this book it it, this place almost looks haunted to me it's just kind of got an interesting vibe my wife who is from california uh, was not even aware where this place is and so maybe i'll stay there some night and that'd be a cool kind of youtube video right for me to kind of show you what my room looks like and maybe walk around <laughs> and get kicked out by stalking some famous people. I do, by the way, love to stalk famous people. I am a spotter of famous people. So I would do well uh, as a guest at the uh, Chateau Marmont. All right, folks, thank you so much for joining us. Remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. We'll talk to you next time.